morning and welcome to our service today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Matthew Dirksen and I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at Arendelle Alliance Church. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the service from my own home. I'm at my home because Janae and I just came back from BC where we've had two awesome weeks of vacation. Uh, if I look a little more tanned, that's from the sun of BC. Uh, apparently here in Saskatchewan it's been just as hot in the 30s, which is crazy. Today is, I think, 35. Uh, what a, a beautiful summer this is turning out to be. And I hope you are also having a time of rest and relaxation throughout the summer at some, some point, in some way. Um, we don't have very many announcements, just a few. The first is membership. If you are not a member of our church, but you attend our church, maybe even call it home, but you've never attended a membership class to kind of learn about this church's history and also kind of get a sense of where Pastor Jorn and the board are wanting to take us, uh, what direction they want to take us spiritually, uh, you want to learn about our, our vision and mission, uh, that is what a membership class is all about. Membership is where you're saying, I'm committing to you, uh, this church, and it's a way in which you can say, I'm, I'm coming under the authority of this church, but also I'm also going to serve and bring my own uh, desires and abilities to this church. And so the church is a body. We need all the different parts, all the different members to be uh, a good functioning body for Christ. And so we need more and more of you to sign up to be members and commit to this church. To not only not commit to giving and supporting, but serving and loving this church. And so if that is something that uh, intrigues you, is, is to be a member. If you are currently attend this church, call your home church and are not members, this is for you. Pastor Jordan's going to do a great job doing a few classes, so please contact the office about that. We also have uh, one other announcement, and that is that if you're not receiving our e-bulletin, e um, we'd love for you to contact the office. It's something that goes out every Thursday. It's filled with uh, good info, and we kind of send it out in-house to all the different people that are a part of this church family, the different members of our church. Uh, if, if you would like to receive it, if you've been attending this online for the last few months and you're starting to call this church your home and you do not receive the e-bulletin, please contact the office at office at arendellealliance.ca and ask if you can get the e-bulletin. It's not something we send out to everyone uh, willy-nilly, but we do want everyone who calls this church their home church to have uh, all the information of what's going on, the prayer needs, and such like that. Now let's move to a time of, of prayer. And as always, when I'm leading this prayer time, I, I really think, especially as I'm sitting in my own home, that it's a time in which I want to invite you, you who are watching today, to pray. I just want to open up this time of prayer. And so I'm going to start, and then when I'm finished praying, I invite you to pause the video, and then to continue praying to God as a family, uh, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, just pause the video and pray to God uh, for the different things, different prayer needs, whatever comes to your mind, whatever the Spirit leads you to pray for, pray for those things. And then when you're done praying, resume the video and we'll move on to a time of worship. So let's, let's pray together. Let me, let me open up this time of prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much. For who you are. We thank you so much that you look after each one of us, that you care for us, that you love us and nurture us, that you look after each one of us as we go about our daily tasks and even the little things of life. Lord God, you are looking after, you are looking out for us, you are protecting us. Lord God, you are in control. Lord God, there has been so much uncertainty for months and months, but we know that you are in control. And so, Lord God, in the times in which we've wanted control, the times we've grabbed control back from you, we right now offer it back to you, Lord God, that you are in control, that your will be done. We recognize, Lord God, who you are, and that you have a desire for, for all of us, Lord God. You have a, a, a path that you want us all to take. And some of us have kind of been like Paul in resisting this path, Lord God. And so I ask that you, Lord, reveal to each one of us what you're calling us to do right now, even during COVID, the ways which are calling us to serve. 
or reveal that to us. And Lord God, forgive us for the times in which we do not take that step you're calling us to take. Forgive us in the ways in which we have sinned, Lord God, which ways in which we have not done what you've called us to do, where we've gone against your word, where we've deliberately sinned, Lord God, and fallen short. Forgive us for those times. And Lord, we thank you so much that you do forgive us. Lord, you don't look at us as the, the wretched sinner that we are, but you look at us and see Jesus. Lord, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that we are saved and washed away from our sins because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Lord God, we ask that you continue to look after our church. Lord God, we thank you for all those who have given uh, for the months that we've been kind of not meeting together and, and meeting online, Lord God, you have continued to spur on people to give to this church, to support this church financially and in different service ways, Lord God. And we thank you for that. Uh, it is a huge blessing we do not take for granted. And all of us, Lord God, do not take what you've given to us for granted. We thank you for the ways you've supported each one of us. And so, Lord God, we, we just ask that you continue to bless the different things that, that we do as a church, the different ways we try to serve. And as we think of the fall, Lord God, and the different ministries starting up, we ask that you give wisdom to the different leaders who are, are seeking to know what's the best way to serve in the fall and how to plan, Lord God, even for the fall. Give each of the different ministry leads wisdom and direction as they seek to serve you. And Lord God, we, we pray for the rest of the service. Lord, may we hear from you in a unique way, in a special way. And as we turn to a time of worship and a time of opening up our Bibles and, and seeing what you have for us in the book of Amos, Lord, will you continue to show us and reveal to us, Lord God, what it is you're wanting us to do? What ways in which you're trying to partner with us and use us for your glory? Lord God, there are many different things, different churches different prayer needs throughout our family. Uh, there are international workers who need our prayers. And Lord, I ask you hear all of our prayers as we now take a time in our own homes to pray to you. So I invite you to pause this video and pray in your own families. And then when you're done, you can restart this video and I'll continue on to worship. Lord bless.
Hello, my friends. It's time for Kids Talk. So parents, if your kids aren't already with you, I would invite you to pause the video and gather your children to you and join us for Kids Talk today. My friends, every day, you and I do things that make God's heart unhappy. Do you know what we call those things? Those things are disobedience. They're called sin. And when we sin, we are separated from God because God is holy and he can't be around sin. He is pure and perfect and we are not. And the punishment for sin is death, spiritual death, which means that we are forever separated from God. And there's nothing that we can do to remove our own sin. There's nothing that we can do. We can't be good enough, and we can't, do, we can't earn our way to God. When God created us, he created us with the choice for us. He gave us the choice to choose whether we want to obey God or whether we want to obey our own hearts. And I have to tell you that my heart tends to want to make itself happy. I want to choose things every day that make my heart happy. And when I choose those things that make my own heart happy, that are in opposition, that are opposite to God's will, that's sin. And when we do that, we are separated from sin, or we're separated from God. Now, the problem is, is that when we sin, it becomes easier and easier each time to sin again and again. And it might start with one lie that turns into two or three or four or five lies. Or it might be something that we take without permission, and that's called stealing. Or it might be that we have a fight with our brothers and our sisters, or maybe even with a friend. Or maybe we choose to disobey mom or dad or our teachers, because they're asking us to do something that we don't necessarily want to do. And to make our hearts happy, we choose disobedience, that we choose to make our own heart happy, even if it's just for a short while. Sometimes that choice makes our heart happy even for less than a minute. But what happens is that sin fills our hearts. And unless we do something about it, their sin is going to eventually overflow our hearts and our lives will be full of sin. So what do we do? Well, God wants us to be close to him and he wants to be close to us. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our punishment for our sins. So when we ask for forgiveness... And I have some forgiveness in this jar. So when we, ask for God, when we ask God for forgiveness, he is faithful and just, as it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that he is faithful and just, and he takes our sin and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins. See, look at that. Our sins are disappearing. It even says in Micah that God takes our sins and he puts puts them into the deepest part of the oceans and the seas. And oops, our sins sometimes get stuck. Sometimes our sins are stubborn, and we don't want to let go of them. But when we confess, God is faithful and just and forgives us our sins and removes them from our hearts so that we can be close to him again. And so when God does this, he, God is holy, and he can't be around sin, but he's also loving and forgiving, and he wants to be close to you, and he wants to be close to me. So, my friends, each time we sin, we have to ask God for forgiveness. Are there things that you need to ask for forgiveness for today? God loves you, and he's ready to forgive you. And there's, God has so much forgiveness that there's nothing too small or too big that God can't forgive. He has forgiveness for you, he has forgiveness for me, and he can forgive anything that we have done. So my friends, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for salvation, and thank you for taking our punishment by dying on the cross for our sins. And thank you, God, for forgiving us 
When we sin and ask for forgiveness, thank you for making a way for us to be with you forever. And we praise you because you are holy and just, and we love you because you love us so very much. Help us to remember to ask for forgiveness when we do sin, and help us to be sorry. Let our hearts and our hands and our minds serve you with honor, and may you always be glorified by what we do and say. In the power of Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening and joining us for Kids Talk today, and we'll see you again next time. Hi there, Uh, my name is Sophia Matico and I'm going to be doing the Bible reading for today. So if you don't mind, I encourage you to go and grab your Bibles and please turn with me to Amos chapter 9 and we're going to be doing verses 1 to 15, so the whole chapter. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar and he said, Strike the capitals of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Knock them down on the heads of all the people. Then I will kill the rest of them with the sword. None of those who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. If they dig down to Sheol, from there my hand will take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide on the top of Carmel, from there I will track them down and seize them. If they conceal themselves from my sight on the seafloor, From there, I will command the sea serpent to bite them. And if they are driven by their enemies into captivity, from there, I will command the sword to kill them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. The Lord, the God of armies, he touches the earth. It melts and all who dwell in it mourn. All of it rises like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. He builds his upper chambers in the heavens and lays the foundation of his vault on the earth. He summons the water of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Israelites, are you not like the Cushites to me? This is the Lord's declaration. Didn't I bring Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtar, and the Arameans from Ker? Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am about to give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes a sieve, but not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say, disaster will never overtake or confront us, will die by the sword. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. Good morning and welcome to Arendelle Alliance Church. My name is Joran Green. I'm the lead pastor here at Arendelle. And I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Amos. We've been doing a series for the last number of weeks as uh, before we were in Acts, we've, we've taken this four weeks now where we're studying what it is that God said through the prophet. Amos chapter 8, we're going to look at Amos 8, Amos 9. The last couple of weeks, they've been heavy weeks because we're looking at how God comes to the Israelites and he's endured hundreds of years of their sin. They, they have been defying him. They have covenant and yet they don't keep it. They have Torah and yet they don't follow it. And Amos comes as the prophet of God and he challenges the people with the word of God saying, you are treating each other poorly, you are acting worse than the nations surrounding you, and I'm coming to discipline you. That's where we've been. 
And now we get, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. With this in mind, would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious God, we ask that you meet us this morning, this afternoon, wherever we are, whenever it is. Holy God, would you guide us into all truth? Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to our hearts? Would you challenge us? Would you convict us? Would you encourage us? Would you make us holy as you are holy? Guide us as we study your word today, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we come to Amos chapter 8 and 9, I'm reminded of my last year of Bible college when one of my classmates stopped talking to me, and I was so confused. I didn't know what I had done. Uh, We'd been at Bible school for about four years together. I think we were there for all the same four years, and we'd spent time together, and we'd hung out a few times. And I remember freshman year, uh, we we did kind of have it out a little bit over a game of risk. And actually, after, to be blunt, after my freshman year of Bible school, I stopped playing risk because if I play risk, I have to win. And I'm going to win, and I must win. And I remember this one game, this one time, where this classmate, I I attacked him in the first round. He's like, don't do it. Of course, I did do it. And he went on this quest, and he was up front. He said, if nothing else happens this game, I am taking you out of the game. And he did. I was the first one done. I got to sit for two hours as my friends were playing, and I'm just a spectator, and I didn't play risk much after that. Well, now in my fourth year, he's treating me cold in class. I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and, and then a couple of my freshmen come up to me, and they said, justice has been done. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, remember how you told us that you lost that game of risk to your, your classmate? And I had told them how I'd been taken out, and they laughed at me because I was the first one gone, and they made fun of me. Three years later, it's my, now my fourth year of Bible school, my two freshmen, they're playing another game called Diplomacy with this classmate. And they bald-faced lied to him. And I'll leave these uh, freshmen unnamed because they're both pastors of other churches now. But they bald-faced lied to my classmate, and they made pacts with him, and they promised him everything, and they're suddenly moving their pieces towards him. And then finally, in the same round, both of them stabbed him in the back at the same time. And my classmate sat there stunned. He's like, why? And they just smiled and said, that's for Joran. Three years later, they got even for me. I didn't ask them to get me. I, I just thought it was funny because I was the first guy out. But this idea that vengeance may take a while is important to keep in mind as we come to Amos 8 and 9 because it's somewhere around 760 BC. Israel's been in the promised land for about 700 years. They've been in rebellion to God for most of it. And this is where we again come to the story in Amos. Amos chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord showed me this, a basket of summer fruit. He asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a basket of summer fruit. The Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. And God goes on to announce through this vision to Amos how just as that basket of summer fruit quickly ripens, and it reminds me of bananas in my house, they quickly turn to that color where nobody wants to eat them anymore. It's there, and then it's gone, and its time is up. And my poor wife is then forced to get creative with the banana loaf or whatever it is she's going to do with these bananas because they have overripened. Israel has overripened. God, for 700 years, has patiently waited for them. He sent prophets to them. He has announced his intention, and now he says, it's over. Last week, when we looked in the earlier chapters of Amos, God comes to Amos, and he shows them the swarm of locusts. And Amos intercedes on behalf of Israel and says, but, but God, Jacob's too small, she'll never survive. And then God shows the fire that he's going to bring. But God, Jacob's too small. And now we get to that third metaphor, the plumb line, where God says, you've been measured and judgment is coming. And now in chapter 8, we're reminded, this judgment that God has been promising is now here. They should have known better They have the Torah. They should have known better. They have the prophets of God. They should have known better. They have the temple of God, at least in the case of Judah. But now judgment is coming. 
Notice their response in verses 4 to 6. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and do away with the poor of the land. Verse 5. Asking, when will the new moon be over, so we may sell grain in the Sabbath, so we may market wheat? We can reduce the measure while increasing the price and cheat with dishonest scales. We can buy the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and even sell the chaff. And so what's clear from Amos, as God's speaking to him and they're dialoguing and God is saying, this is what you're going to say back. What's clear here, their hearts have not turned. The poor are being taken advantage by the rich. Even sell the chaff. You can't eat chaff. You can't do anything with chaff. You burn chaff. We'll buy a slave, we'll buy the poor, the needy, for a pair of sandals. They're doing this to their own people. And this is, again, in Amos, where we see that God is so unhappy, he is so furious and angry for the sin of Israel, as exemplified by how they treat each other. That's his principal concern. Their sin is clear, their attitude condemns them, They've had 700 years, they have ignored God, and God says, I'm coming to get you. Verses 9 and 10. And in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into laments. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son and its outcome, like a bitter day. God's wrath is coming. He has warned them. They have not repented. He sent prophets. They have not repented. God has patiently waited. They have not repented. And now, in chapter 8, we hit this climax point where God says, enough is enough. I am coming. Your sin is before you. I will destroy you. What's really interesting is a twist here in verses 11 and 12 where he says, uh, this last part of verse 11, not the famine of bread or of thirst for water, but the hearing of the words of the Lord. And again in verse 12, they will be seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. God's saying, I'm cutting you off completely. Now keep in mind, when it says the word of the Lord here, this probably isn't a reference to Scripture, as we would talk about the word of the Lord. This is the prophetic word coming through the prophets, and God says, I'm not going to send you any more prophets. I'm not going to speak to you anymore. I'm done with you. I'm cutting you off. Your days are cut short. There's going to be weeping. There's going to be mourning. And it's going to be terrible. Verse 14. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, Dan, or as the way of Bathsheba lies, they will fall, never to rise again. The wrath is coming. Verse nine, sorry, chapter 9, verse 1. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals of the pillars, so that the threshold shake. Knock them down on the heads of all the people. Then I will kill the rest of them with the sword. None of those who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. We continue this theme. The wrath and judgment of God is coming on an unrepentant house, They've had their chance. They have not taken their chance. They have denied common human decency. God, in, back in chapter 1 already, said to the surrounding nations, to Gaza and to Edom and to the various nations that Israel looked at and said, see how evil they are. And he came and confronted them for their sin, for three crimes and for four. And for some of them, the sin is serious. God comes and judges. But the primary message is Israel. You look at the four nations, you see how bad they are, but what about you? The wrath of God is coming on these people. Verse 5, the Lord, the God of armies, he touches the earth. It melts and all who dwell in it mourn. All of it rises like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. He builds up his chambers in the heavens and lays the foundation of his vault on earth. He summons the waters of the sea and pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. In the middle of judgment, God stops and says, by the way, here's who I am. 
actually very typical and prophetic, because the promises of God are linked directly to the nature and character of God himself. The certainty of the promises of God are linked directly to his holiness. They're linked directly to his righteousness. They're linked directly to his power. And so in the middle of this prophecy of this coming destruction, God stops and says, by the way, here's how powerful I am. Here's what I can do. Israel should know this, but Israel does not fear God. Israel should know this, but will not repent. Here's who God declares himself to be to this unrepentant, unholy, unrighteous house, but it's not where Amos ends. To this point, our message has been doom and gloom. And we've tried to draw out some kind of hopefulness that if there's repentance, maybe God will relent. We've tried to draw out kind of this idea in a few places where there's this hint that, well, maybe if they bend their knee, God would be gracious to them, but then immediately the text points out they're not going to do it. But now we come to a very significant shift. In the middle of the bleakness that is the book of Amos, where God says back in chapter 4, prepare to meet your God, which is a very direct way of saying, I'm going to kill you. You will stand in my presence and hear from me. Prepare to meet your God. I'm coming to destroy you. In the middle of a book this heavy, notice these words. Look, the eyes of the Lord are on a sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. However... I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am about to give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel from among the nations, as one shakes a sieve, but not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake us or confront us will die by the sword. So judgment is coming, but now in chapter 9, we have this twist in these couple of verses where God says, there is now going to be a remnant. Remnant's this really cool theological idea where God says, I'm going to come, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to bring judgment on you, your sin is before me, I must wipe you out, but by the way, I'm going to keep just a piece of you, just a few of you alive. Because God promised Abraham, God promised Isaac, God promised Jacob. God promised King David. There are these covenant promises God has made where he has said, this is what I'm going to do. Moses gets in and he gets to overhear these promises of God. Solomon is aware of these promises. The prophets have been proclaiming these promises and God has not forgotten them. So in the midst of judgment, is this guarantee based on who God is and the certainty of his character, the certainty of his power, the certainty of his mercy, that he will keep a remnant, a group of people alive and intact, and he will bring them back for his glory. Now, that last verse that we read there in verse 10 makes it clear this remnant will be holy because those who think, oh, God's not going to deal with us, God's not going to discipline us, what does God say? I'm going to destroy them. They're gone. The remnant will be holy But God now, in the middle of all the judgment of Amos, promises there will be someone left. Verse 11. In that day I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. There's a certainty. God is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to wipe you out. This message seems to primarily actually be to southern Judah now. And we've talked a little bit. There's the northern ten tribes. That's Israel. The southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. We call them Judah. After the time of King Solomon, they had split. And they've kind of gone separate directions, but they both sinned in roughly the same way. I remember my promises to David. God promises here. I will do this. We have a remnant that's guaranteed. The remnant's going to be holy, and the remnant will be reminiscent of the promise that was made to David, and God is going to restore what he has taken away. After all the destruction, after everyone who has died, the promise, restoration will come. We actually get a description of restoration here. Verse 13. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. 
when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the one who treads grapes, the sower of the seed. So there's an image where they're planting faster than they can even harvest. I'm not a farmer. I've never seen this before, but I suspect if I asked my farmer friends, have you ever had this experience? They would say no. God continues, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. And that's where Amos ends. We go in with judgment, we go in with the wrath of God. At no point is Israel ever entertained as even being remotely holy. The moment we think, oh, they might actually get it now and they they might actually be holy and righteous, God comes back and says, well, your hearts are far from me. Prepare to meet your God. This final picture in Amos is one of restoration. The city rebuilt, the people restored, the land given back to them, planting their own gardens enjoying the products of their own fields, the cities restored as they were before. Fascinating text. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, the Israelites had begun to realize this is actually messianic. This is anticipating the great day that the Messiah, the anointed of God, will come and he will bring this about. Because Israel does not enjoy this day. They've never had this day. They've had hints of this day. In Jesus' day, they saw it kind of starting to be fulfilled. A few hundred years after Amos, the Babylonians will come because Judah has been in sin. Israel's long gone by this point. Within a couple of decades of Amos' words, the Assyrians will come in, those northern ten tribes the northern ten sons of Israel and all their families, they're taken off into captivity. We call them lost tribes. We have no idea where they are to this day. All kinds of speculation. We have no clue. We have a remnant of those ten tribes that were in Judah. They were in Jerusalem. They were in southern Palestine when the Assyrians carted them off into captivity. So to this day, we still have a remnant of those tribes, but the majority of them gone. We never see them. A couple hundred years after Amos, the Babylonians come because Judah, after watching God's judgment, after watching God's judgment on her northern brother, because they're all the same family, the northern ten tribes, Judah continues in sin. God keeps sending prophets, they keep denying them, they keep ignoring them. Finally, God sends the Babylonians, carts them off into captivity. This is where we have the book of Daniel, have the book of Ezekiel. We've talked about this. In the aftermath of that, we have the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, because God brings back Israel. Remember, we just look. God says, I'm going to preserve a remnant, and I will restore them. I'll collect them from the nations. What happens after the Babylonians take them into exile, into Babylon? They let them go home after 70 years. For 70 years, they're there in captivity. For 70 years, They're in a foreign land, having to deal with foreign gods and a foreign language and a foreign political system, and they're basically captives in a foreign land. God brings that remnant home. They rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. It's not as good as it was, but it's restored. They rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They replant their vineyards. But Israel realizes this promise was not quite as awesome in its fulfillment. So by Jesus' day, the Israelites were reading this promise because they're living in the aftermath of what happened with Babylon. Jesus is a few hundred years later. The Israelites realize there's more promised. There's more guaranteed. And they're waiting for it. They're waiting for the one who'll come restore the fortunes of the house of David. Well, of course, we know the rest of the story because when Jesus comes, he is the son of David who's the son of God. And we know the truth that when Jesus comes, it wasn't to restore the political or social or economic fortunes of Israel, but it was to do something immeasurably greater. It was to once and for all 
deal with the sin of the Israelites. When Jesus comes to die on the cross, he comes as the ultimate deliverer, not just of politics, not just of society, but of sin itself. So the Israelites, they're still waiting for Messiah. They look at Amos chapter 9 and go, we have this golden day coming. They have not seen it yet, even in Jesus' day. Of course, we read Revelation, and this is Revelation chapter 22, where we're in the new heavens and the new earth, and we see the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. He has never forgotten his people. He has never forgotten his promises. The son of David, God promised David, you'll always have a man on the throne. I don't think David had a clue that that man would be God himself. But in Revelation 22, the son of David He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. No sun, no moon, we don't need their light because the light of God is sufficient. Israel needs to hear this. Our nation needs to hear there is a better day still to come. The fulfillment when God brings Israel back from Babylon, when Israel's living in the land in Jesus' day, when God brings Israel back in in the late 40s after World War II, These are just a a warning shot that he intends for something more. What is his promise? The plowman will overtake the reaper, the one who treads the grapes, the sower of the seed. We have not seen this day yet. What do we do with this? Well, first thing I want to remind us of, God never turns a blind eye on our sin. He may be patient, and we've alluded to the fact that for 700 years, Israel has been sinning in really creative ways. For 700 years, Israel has been defiant of God and everything that God commanded her. Judgment comes, but God is patient. God is long-suffering because he wants his people to repent. They're not repenting. He never turns a blind eye on our sin. Just because judgment hasn't come doesn't mean it won't. If God is gracious in the timing, it is for our benefit. Do not abuse the grace and mercy of God. Second thing, Amos chapter 8 and every other chapter of Amos reminds us how we treat each other matters. We've been talking about this now for four weeks, how God's principal charge against Israel, you mistreat the poor, you mistreat the vulnerable, you mistreat your fellow Israelites, When he challenges the nations around Israel, it's because of how they treat each other. It's not that God is going to allow lax worship of him. He takes the Israelites to task for bad worship as well. But we are called to be mindful of our fellow human beings. How we treat each other matters. We must love God and love our fellow human beings. And finally, God's perfect plan of restoration and redemption is certain. He has promised to his creation. He is coming to do something new. He is not satisfied with a broken and sinful world. He will not tolerate it indefinitely. Just as there is consequences for sin, there's also the promise of God for those who will bend the knee to him that there can be forgiveness and right relationship with God. Just as he says to Israel, I will keep a remnant, and the remnant is not going to be sinful, they're not going to turn their back on me, and and we see this glorious day that is coming, and then we go to Revelation 22, and we see the promise of what it looks like to spend eternity with Jesus. We're reminded God is in the business of redeeming. He doesn't send the prophets to tell Israel they're bad so they can sit there and feel bad. God sends the prophets to Israel to tell them they're bad, to tell them that they're in sin so they can get right with God and be his people again. And this is the message of the cross. Amos anticipates the cross because we are Israel. I'm Israel. You're Israel. We are all sinners. We have all done what we know God doesn't want us to do. We have all thumbed our nose in our hearts at God. We have all defiantly said to God, we will do what we want in the way that we want, when we want, how we want. That is pride. That is sin. And we all need the grace and forgiveness. And Amos anticipates the day when the grace and forgiveness will come. And then Jesus, the son of David, comes to make us holy. 
We don't earn grace and mercy. We can't demand it. We can't keep it by anything that we do. Grace and mercy of God is just that. It is a gift from God by his will and his purpose. How do we enter into this? We ask for forgiveness. How do we enter into the grace and mercy of God? We call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom is the only means of salvation. We call on Jesus Christ who wants to forgive us if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. If we will ask for forgiveness. If we'll surrender at the foot of the cross. Amos anticipates Jesus Amos anticipates what Paul writes in Romans. Amos is pointing us towards Revelation 22, that for all of our sin, for all of our brokenness, God always has kept a people for himself. And today, he's inviting us to be that people. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross for our sins. Holy God, thank you for sending Amos hundreds of years before Jesus to tell us how we treat each other matters. How we obey you matters. Thank you that you sent your son to die for our sins because we are going to make mistakes. We are going to do wrong. But you forgive us. You extend grace and mercy to us. Lord, for those who've never invited you to forgive them. Would you speak to their hearts? For those of us who have called on your name as Lord and Savior, who have confessed our sins and have asked for your forgiveness and have placed our trust and our hope in you, would you remind us that we are your people, that your grace and mercy is there and you have made it available to us, not free, because the 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 cross cost everything. But Lord, for your children, would you remind us again today that we are your children, that you love us. And as great as a blessing we have today in you and in your spirit living in us, that that's just a deposit guaranteeing eternity with you. And Lord, for those who don't know you, would you invite them into your presence? For those of you watching who have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, what do you do with the wrong that you've done? Where do you find forgiveness? Where do you find grace and mercy? For those of you who've called on Jesus, are you extending the grace and mercy that you've been given to those around you? Do you actually believe that God has forgiven you? Do you trust him? For those of you at home who have not called on Jesus, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And when I'm done that prayer, for those of you who have called on Jesus, I have another prayer for you as well. Would you pray? For those of you who have called on Jesus and you want to accept him as Lord and Savior, pray after me. Holy Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? Would you be Lord of my life? And would you teach me what it means? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me your child? Thank you for your love and thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy, God. Amen. And for those of you who don't believe that you're forgiven, but you've asked, pray with me. Holy God, would you remind me that I'm your child? Holy Spirit, would you come and impress on my heart the truth of your word? Lord Jesus, would you open my eyes to see the truth when I read scripture, when I pray? Lord Jesus, would you show me who I truly am and give me courage to share it with others? In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior because you've never done it before, please feel free to get a hold of us at the office, one of the elders, myself. Pastor Matt will be back from holidays right away. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to share. What does it now mean? For those of you struggling with, am I actually forgiven? And I'm amazed at how many Christians I meet who struggle with their forgiveness. And you want to talk about it, please contact us. We'd love to walk with you and encourage you because God is faithful to his promises. I want to leave you with this. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you this week. We are dismissed.